But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and make merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Good morning. This past week, Father Matthew and I were at St. Nicholas Ranch in Dunlap, California for the annual clergy and clergy lady retreat. And during one of the breakfasts uh, for the clergy, it was being held up at the monastery, uh, Bishop Apostolos in our metropolis here. Uh, shared a kind of a funny story and I wanted to share it with you because it's funny <laughs> so let me give you a little background just to set it up so as you know in, in, the, in the church uh, this period of time as we're testing the volume here <laughs> this period of time that is leading up to uh, the great fast is, is a period of time where we have these beautiful themes that are represented by gospel uh, passages and readings. And last Sunday, as you remember, we had the parable of the prodigal, or excuse me, of the uh, publican and the Pharisee. 
And as you know, the Pharisee went in and he was lifting his eyes up and he was thanking God and, and that he wasn't like other men and he was enumerating all the things that he had done and he was so thankful and then he stood really in judgment of the publican who said, you know, thank God I'm not like this guy. Today we celebrate this parable of the prodigal son and of course it's all about returning and coming back from your wayward ways and, and, and change and, and getting on the right track and all these things. So he goes on to tell us that there are these two priests, it's a true story he says, in Greece and we'll give these two priests the name Father Costa and Father George. Father Costa is a very traditional priest. He has a very long beard. He always wears his black robe and his exorison, the very you know, the long sleeves, and he has his his black hat, the kalamachion, and and uh, very traditional in his appearance and in his ways and all this. Father George, on the other hand, is a little more contemporary. So he doesn't wear the kalamafi, he doesn't have a long beard, uh, he doesn't wear the long ex- flowing exorison, but just wears his, his, uh, his what they call the andari, which is what you see Father and Deacon and I all walking around with here uh, after the service and so forth. So he's a little more model, a little more contemporary. So they're both at the grocery store in Greece, and they're pushing their carts. And they didn't know that the other one was there, and as they come down an aisle, they're getting ready to cross each other's path. And Father Costa, the very traditional one, kind of bows and says, Father George, nice to see you. Father Costa, nice to see you. And, uh, and Father Costa says, I just want to wish you happy name day for this coming Sunday, for the, for the prodigal son. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Father, it's... It's, it's, not my, it's not my actual name day, though. And he says, Happy name day, Father. And as he starts to walk away, Father George goes, Oh, and by the way, Father, I would like to wish you happy name day for last Sunday. <laughs> for the publican and the Pharisee. <laughs> See, clergy have a sense of humor. You didn't know that, right? As we were celebrating the Orthodox service, the morning service before the liturgy here, I was looking at the Kondakion hymn, and, and I wanted to just point out a couple of sentences here that, that really struck me. This is something I didn't have prepared, but it struck me, so I want to share it with you. The first sentence is, I revolted senselessly. Now this is, the, uh, this is giving words to the, uh, to the prodigal son. I revolted senselessly, and I have squandered sinfully all the riches that you have given me. This, this beautiful and very powerful teaching of the uh, prodigal son, this, this young man had everything that he could ever want in terms of material needs and probably even love and compassion. There's nothing that says anything about the fact that he was at odds with his father or his brother or family at large. He was, he was not unhappy in terms of just the home situation. Uh, he had everything that he could ever, ever want in life. All of his needs were met. And he, he asks for this inheritance, which he would get. So not only did he have everything that he needed presently, but when his father would pass on, he would get even more. So he was set for life, basically. And, and there's this, there was this phrase, and I, I mentioned it to someone yesterday. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 32. And it says, Do not be afraid. These are the words of our Lord. Do not be afraid, O little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of heaven. Our Father in heaven is gladly giving us the kingdom of heaven. 
And we stand before our Lord every single day, and we are given this rich treasury. It is our inheritance. It's for us to have and to hold for all eternity. And yet we turn from that and embrace and clutch to things of this world that we feel bring us a lot of comfort, a lot of joy, that make life fun in some ways and interesting. And we clutch to them, though, as though we have to hold on to them for dear life. And we know, though, that our Lord has given us not only the animals of this world, but all the things that even man has developed through his intellect and through knowledge to use for our purposes, but not to cling and attach to in an unhealthy way. And this is something that happened to the prodigal son. He began to think outside of the kingdom, outside of all that his father had to offer him and and, and that he had. And he began to wander and stray away from the riches and all that he had. And this is something every single one of us does. And we may do it multiple times throughout our life. But there's something about the enticements. There's something about maybe our spiritual immaturity for sure, but even our our developmental immaturity. That we seem to just want to wander away from that secure base, that place where we have everything, and to start to to tamper in and, and, and test out and discover and do all of these things. And as a parent, we know, for those of you who are parents, know this experience that you're willing and you're giving everything to a child, and yet they're bound and determined to walk away from that. And in a sense, it feels like rejection, that we're offering you everything, and yet you're still turning away. This is a part of our fallen human life. And this is something that we all experience, and this is why the story of the prodigal son is so important. But one of the things, probably the key moment in the life of the prodigal son, is that scene where he had gone off and attached himself to an owner in a foreign country, and he began to feed the swine, but eventually he had squandered all of his inheritance, and then he began to eat with the swine. And it was then that he had that aha moment. And it was at that moment that he realized what he had lost because of what he had left and where he was at the time. And that created incredible, incredible sorrow in his heart. And this is why we read in St. Paul's letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, that godly sorrow works repentance in us for our salvation. But the godly sorrow part has to come first. And this is where our Lord works within our lives and sometimes in very uncomfortable ways for us. And maybe in ways that we don't understand and may not understand for a long time. But He allows certain things to happen in our life to bring us to the point of godly sorrow so that it works repentance in our heart so that the Father and have salvation. Now this doesn't have to tragedy, it can come through inspiration, it can come through uh, a person that you meet, or for the kids it can come through a camp counselor or an experience or something like that. But it brings this sort of awareness, aha moment, so that they make this conscious decision to return to the Father and to start living that life. Father Sophroni would call this blessed despair, blessed despair. And so our first step towards repentance is honestly to sever 
the attachments to the things of the outside world so that we can attach our heart to God solely and completely. And this is a, this is a, um, a change in perspective. And it may come to you early in life, it may come midway through life, and it may not come until the end of your life. But at some point in time, there has to be that perspective change that we say, you know what? I'm really not living in a way that's fulfilling. And I've lived long enough to know that there's nothing that will truly fulfill me except for my relationship with God. And once I begin to discover that and pursue that and look for God in the heart, then I begin to realize how I had squandered so much time in my life frivolously engaging in things that had no benefit to me whatsoever. Certainly of no uh, long-term benefit. Father Zacharias says that repentance in a spirit of faith and humility gives the believer hope. It's in the spirit of faith and humility it gives a person hope that we will not die in our sins. Whoever really and truly repents cannot suffer, he says, from what's called morbid despair. That is complete hopelessness of life. Because in that repentance, we are consoled by God. And then he says something very, very interesting. He says, We can only despair of our spiritual poverty and live in the grace of this despair with the one God. So if we truly repent, we will have no despair over our salvation in our life. Because we are deeply consoled by the love and mercy of God, and we have that faith and trust in Him. But he says, we can only despair in our spiritual poverty, and then we live in the grace of that spiritual poverty alone with Christ. Now there seems to be a contradiction in that. To live in this despair in the grace of the despair. What does that mean to live in the grace of the despair? Because this is what I hear all the time in confessions. Not, not, not in terms of what is confessed, that, but just sort of the, the despair around the sinful life. I can't seem to stop this. I always end up getting angry. I, I overeat. I don't know what to, you know, what to do. I, I, see, I seem like I'm not making any progress. Father, I confess the same thing. There's a despairing tone to that. And he's saying that the only, the only despair that we can have is in that spiritual life, and there's grace in that. And the reason there's grace in the despair is because it keeps us humble and allows us through that humility to have even deeper repentance. The fathers of the church speak very specifically that if we were to say, well, I want to stop cussing. And then you stop cussing. Oh, I have another thing. I'm just going to check off getting angry. And you never get angry again. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be kind all the time. 100% all the time. And you check that off because it all happens. Don't you think we would reach perfection in about 10 seconds? But there is grace in the despair of the spiritual life because our Lord is pruning us over time because the first thing that would jump into that bucket is pride. And then all of a sudden, we're standing in the temple like the Pharisees thinking, I fast twice a week, you know, I, I, I'm not a sinful person, I do all these things, I give tithing, I do all these things, and thank God I'm not like this person. And that will be our fault, that will be our demise. So the grace and the despair of the spiritual life is the fact that we continue to struggle, yes, with the same things over and over and over and over again, and we get so worried about our lack of progress, and that's not where our focus should be. 
Confession is not about coming in and just feeling guilty and all the psychological trauma to that and I just can't get over this. That is not what confession is about. It is about, Lord, I have, I have committed these things. I have done wrong in your sight and I'm returning to you and I come before you humbly and I ask for your forgiveness and compassion. And so at the end of the prayer, the priest says, Having no further cares for the sins which you have confessed, depart in what? Peace. Not depart in, oh gosh, I, what am I going to do now? I mean, I confess, but I don't know what I'm going to do now because I, 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 oh Father, oh gosh. There's this like psychological turmoil. And I'm like, didn't you just hear the prayer? Depart in peace. You're done. Now go back out and start living. And when that stuff begins to accumulate, come back, lay it before Christ, have that prayer, receive that grace and forgiveness, and go on. Stop meddling with it in your mind. This is not productive whatsoever. And this is one of the, one of the deceptions of, of the devil, to keep us sort of in this, in this state of hopelessness and helplessness. Repentance opens before God so that the grace of the Holy Spirit may abide in it. When we receive grace of this kind, we experience the beginning of a third birth. The birth where we work together with God for our regeneration. So our first birth is biological, our second birth is through baptism, and our third birth is through repentance, and the tears of repentance being the baptismal waters again. But when we receive this grace, we experience the beginning of a third birth where we now work together with God in collaboration for the purifying of our heart. And then the eyes of the soul, he says, are open, and we see God and our neighbor in another way. Now I think the back point. <laughs> the eyes of our soul are opened, and we see God and our neighbor in another way. And then the first commandment of love, that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, is fulfilled through repentance, because now our whole desire is directed towards God. Before this, though, our desire is directed toward many, many things. But when we truly repent, our eyes are focused on God constantly. We start to see our brother and the whole world as God sees them. And from then, our one desire is that all people be saved. We stand in judgment of no person. Our only desire, even when we see people in their sinfulness, even if their sinfulness is a vicious attack, even against us, we desire nothing more for them than their salvation. As St. Siloan used to say, we long and pray that the portion of mercy that we have received may become the lot of all humanity. When you receive that grace and mercy and you are moved to compunction and tears because you experience that, we de you desire that then for all people no matter who that person is or what they've done in life. Because the love that you have through that repentance and the grace of the Holy Spirit that is activated within you now desires exactly what God desires for those people. And nothing less. Let me close, close with just this quote. As soon as the believer perceives his sin, he does not hide it, but confesses his fall before the face of God. He brings his sin to the light and it is wiped away. He is washed, he is cleansed, he is forgiven. 
And in this lies the power of the mystery of confession. Whosoever repents and confesses his fall before God acknowledges a universal truth. And if there is a time when man is infallible, even in the sight of the Lord, it is when he confesses his sinfulness. Then more than at any other time is that... In other words, when we are confessing contritely with all of our heart, and we have made that examination, and we offer this with humility at that moment, that is when we are most truthful. That is when we are most vulnerable, most open. And we share all of that. And when we we attract the spirit of truth. This is what attracts the grace of God, who then transforms us by the great repentance. This brings the believer to a deep awareness of his spiritual poverty, and in response to the Holy Spirit grants both healing and justification. This, this theme of repentance, people, is the theme of all of Great Lent. But you know what? It has to be real. It can't be an obligation. It can't be something that's just what we do. It's something we talk about a lot. It has to come from the depth of our heart and soul, realizing that our Father in Heaven is granting us the Kingdom of Heaven. It's there. We just have to decide and choose whether or not we want to take hold of that or if we want to just meander around a little bit longer in that state. Pray that God brings you to that point as the prodigal son who came to himself, who had this awareness at a moment in time that he had squandered everything as we squander everything that God gives us so that we return to him and accept and embrace all that he has to offer him. Amen.